you know, I, I think this has happened a couple other times for Pastor John, like at a kind of like a time where it's like, oh, yeah, I get to come preach today. Whoop, you all right there? I get to come preach today, right? Great time to come preach. And Pastor John decides to take a vacation, uh, you know, on a week where it feels like there's all this turmoil. Thank you, Pastor John, as you're watching. I appreciate that. No. Um, i got to be honest with you. Uh, I've been, as Pastor John talked about last week, um, very tired and burdened and overwhelmed just the last year, I guess, with everything that's going on. Um, and uh, he's not alone in talking about that. I'm not alone. I think you're probably not alone. Maybe you might be feeling this anxiety, this stress during this time. From the last month or so, right, the ads on TV, the reminders to vote on social media, right, like every time you get on, it's like, hey, don't forget to vote, right, over and over and over again, and the texts that you got reminding, don't forget to vote this way or the world's going to end, or don't forget to vote this way or the world's going to end, and then after Tuesday, right, staying up and feels like the week's going on forever and ever and all the different messages on who's going to... Who's going to take this state? Who's going to win? Who's going to, you know, people can't just call the election this way, the lawyers, the lawsuits, all this stuff. Not to mention, that's just from, like, other people, like the media and stuff like that, right? Like, not to mention the posts, the comments, the, you know, all the stuff that you get on social media. I can't tell you how many times I've deleted Facebook on my phone only to be like, oh, I need to get back on it for business purposes or for church purposes or whatever. And it's like... Then I throw my hands up in the air when I'm just, you know, scrolling through, and it's just, I feel my anxiety start to rise, my stress start to rise, and from one side to the other side of the aisle, friends of mine, family members, people who I know, who I love, I see people say things, and maybe even people that I don't know sometimes, but sometimes it is people that I know, and I just, like, I just, my heart sinks a little, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy time, it feels like 2020 has brought on disagreements that go beyond normal discussion and opinion, it feels like. Like, um, the disagreements that are happening today in the political world especially, but not just there, seem to be affecting our heart's posture towards other people more than it has in the past. I, that's just my experience, right? I'm 37 years old, I'm not that old, but that's my experience that I've, that I've seen. And it's not just a difference of opinion, it feels like, anymore. It's how can they be Christian and support him? Or how can they be Christian and support that? How can they be an intelligent person? How can they be smart and support him over there or or that over there? And, And our minds go, well, I certainly don't support him or support that. And I'm a Christian and I'm intelligent, right? I'm smart. So those others must just not be. Like they either... They're reprobates or, you know, they're whatever you want to call them. They're, they're, they're morons. They're idiots. They just don't get it because I'm over here. And if I'm over here, <laughs> right, everyone else over there must just be out of their mind. And then we, we draw lines in the sand. And I'm on this side. And, and we're Christians and we're smart. And on that side, you're, you're a liberal or you're a racist or you're a baby killer or you, you don't care about the poor or you don't care about the marginalized. And then it just starts to rise and rise, and you start, your heart starts getting, like, angry towards people, and your heart starts getting hard towards people. And, and here's what I've experienced this year, and just let me know if you're with me. People I love, people I care about deeply, that are my friends, my family members, they've said things 
that hurt other people that I love, hurt people that I'm in a relationship. Sometimes they've hurt me, and they're all across the political spectrum. It's not just one side or the other. Have you felt hurt by somebody by what somebody has posted online? Have you felt hurt by what somebody has said or some somebody's stance on something? And I know a lot of it's said as a joke or in jest, right? It's like trying to lighten the mood. But, you know, you, not all of it is. And even if things are said in jest, sometimes it's not taken that way. And I remember taking a communications class, and they said if somebody doesn't if – you're, if you're communicating and the person you're communicating to or the group or whoever doesn't take what you communicated the way you want them to, that's not on them. That's on the communicator. That's on you. That's your, that's your issue. Like, you didn't communicate the way you were supposed to, the way you wanted to. I have close relationships with people who are on the left, who are on the right, who are in the middle somewhere, who are Republicans, who are Democrats, who are conservatives, who are liberals, who are progressives, who are libertarians, who are Christians, who are atheists, who are Muslims, who are nothing, (laughs) right? I have relationships with people who just don't believe anything. Who, who are part of the LGBTQ community. I have relationships with people in my family, friends. And some of the stuff I hear from people from all these different angles and all these different sides, it's just, it's not hurtful just to me, but it's hurtful to people I care about. And I ask, and I'm like, I can't be the only one who thinks this way. And I ask, how did we get to this place? When did it become okay to say the kind of stuff online and post this kind of stuff and make fun of people and ridicule people? When did that become okay? I'm tired. I'm so, like, oh, you <laughs> in our household, we talk a lot about being tired and being overwhelmed. And to be honest, my view of people who are so loud online in this way sometimes has changed. To be honest, if I'm going to be very honest with kind of my heart, be transparent. And uh, sometimes it's not for the better. better. And I, this sermon this week was, like, preaching to me so much as I was preparing it. Has question for you today is, has your view of someone changed since all of this started, since 2020 started? Has your view of someone changed? Due to COVID and how they responded to COVID, due to masks or or no masks or Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or police brutality or defunding the police or the presidential election and who they're voting for. Has your view of someone changed? You're not alone. Maybe your view of a spouse or a brother or sister, a friend, a coworker, a fellow churchgoer, maybe a pastor has changed. There's a study out of the University of California that says millions of Americans, this was before the election happened, millions of Americans may expect a decline in their mental health if they live in states that favor the losing candidate. They talk about avoiding social media and avoiding this. I love this term they said. They called it doom scrolling. <laughs> doom scroll, like, oh, like it's just dread, right? Oh my, I have to turn it off. No, I can't. I gotta go back. I gotta look. Oh no, what? You know, I gotta, oh, I gotta hide this. Gotta delete this person. I gotta unfollow it. I just can't, can't do it, right? What are we supposed to do? How do we respond? Have you said this in 2020? Like, be honest. I can't understand how blank could believe this. Insert your person. I can't understand how blank could do this or vote this way or believe this or, or go this way. I can't understand how somebody could support Trump. I just can't understand how somebody could support Biden. I just don't understand it. 
doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I'm obviously right, and God is obviously on my side because, you know, I'm, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and he's on my side. So they're wrong, so I just don't understand how they can be so wrong. And from this, you might begin to have contempt for people because they're wrong. And I felt myself go there to be, I mean, again, I'm going to be very honest and transparent. Like, I felt my, my, my posture and my mind go to these places. And I get angry and I get discouraged and I ask this question. How are you responding? How are you doing? How are you treating people? How are you thinking about them? What are you allowing to stir up in your heart towards them? Last week, Pastor John shared from John 17. I love this passage, how how we're to have unity. Uh, John 17 will be up in the slide. Jesus actually prays for unity right before his crucifixion and death. He literally prays for you and I. Like, that's, that's us. Those who would believe because of their words. That's you and me. Like, that, that line continues. He prays for you and for me. And he did it. He says, I wish that they would, I pray that they would be one so that the world would know that God sent Jesus. That's why they're supposed to be one. Not just for their own good. Not so they can say, hey, look at us. We have unity. It's so that the world would know that God sent Jesus. And unity can only come, I believe, when, we, when there's something other than our differences that unite us, correct? I mean, and I'm not talking about just like the love of the USA or the love of country or America. That should, I think those things can unite us. But there's something much greater and deeper than just being countrymen and countrywomen together. One of the most repeated commands given to us in the Bible is the command to love one another. Love one another. How are you going to respond to your Christian brothers and sisters who vote and think differently than you? We're to love them. Regardless of who's sworn into office in 2021, we are to love one another. That's the sermon today. That's what we're going to be talking about. And I think you know that, right? Like I, we know, kind of know that in our minds. You know we're supposed to be loving to one another. But actually doing it is a lot harder than just knowing it in our minds. I always thought those love one another passages were inter- interesting because it's a, it's a command that doesn't necessarily have to do with just your actions, but it requires somebody else. You're to love one another. It assumes that you're going to be in community with people. It assumes you're going to have relationships with people. And it assumes that, you know, you're probably going to have differences. Relationships with people who are different. You're going to have disagreements. We are not the first group of Christians to have divisions. And we probably won't be the last. In the times of the New Testament, Christians were already divided on issues. Those who were, who were followers of Jesus, they were divided on issues of race, of background, of gender, of social class, of doctrine. And the apostles who wrote the New Testament had to constantly remind and admonish their fellow believers that they needed to love one another in spite of their differences their opinions, their backgrounds, their ethnicities, and all that. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 13 when he's washing their feet. This will be up on the the screen here. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you vote Republican. Or if you vote Democrat. Or if you have a certain stance on a social issue you live in a certain place or no that's not what it says right people will know you're my disciples if you have love 
love is the distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus. It's not a political party. It's not a bumper sticker or how you think or how you act or color of your skin or where you live. What you believe, it's love. Not Facebook posts. Especially not those. (laughs) Not your church attendance. Not how well you know the Bible. Not how much you give. Not how, how often you go to church or what church you go to. It's love that is the distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus. Paul actually continues this idea in in Galatians 5, simil- a similar idea. He's speaking to a church that that has people that, uh, some, some people came in called Judaizers to this church in Galatia, uh, who the, Galatia, the, the letter to the Galatians is written to. And uh, they came in, and they were adding a requirement to salvation. That's just a very simple reading of that. They were, they were adding a requirement. They were saying, yes, you should believe in Christ and trust Christ and have faith in him, but you should also be circumcised. And that's why they were called Judaizers, because, you know, that was, for Jews, circumcision was the distinguishing mark of being a good Jew. That was their mark. And and they came into this church, and they're starting to say, yeah, you know, you people, you especially you Gentiles, right, who aren't Jews, you, you're coming to faith in Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. Like, that's, that's what you also need to do. And Paul came in and starts writing to them and says, no, 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 that is not what is required. Christ plus, I think Pastor John has said that before, Christ plus, Christ plus voting this way or Christ plus voting that way, whatever the addition is for you. The additional requirement besides faith in Christ, Galatians 5, 7 through 15, let's read it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul says, this is not from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So he's talking about, you know, these people, this person who's coming in preaching this, I, hate, I hope they bear the penalty of what they're putting on me, this burden. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying if there's something else besides the cross, then the offense of the cross has been removed. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate you. He's saying, you know, in very graphic terms, he's saying, yeah, circumcision, I wish they would just go the whole way. For you were called to freedom. That's how much this angers him. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15 is a warning to us. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, I don't think Paul, when he reads this, he's not really opposed to circumcision like we shouldn't be opposed to being politically involved. He's not opposed to that. He's opposed to if it's a requirement for salvation. He's like, if, you, if that's where your conscience leads you, go do that. But it's not a requirement for salvation. Sure, you're, be, you're free to, to support a side. You're free to support a candidate. You should do that. If that's where your conscience is leading you, do that. But what are you use, using your freedom for? 
yeah, you're, I guess you're free to argue and ridicule and call names and make fun of and demean. And but Paul says don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh in that way, which you may want to do, right? <laughs> like that's the thing. He's like don't indulge it like because I think he understands that there's a part of us that, that starts leaning that way because we still have, you know, we still live in a fallen world. We still deal with this flesh. Sometimes we start leaning this way. He says don't use your freedom in that way. Eventually, if you keep biting and devouring one another, you're gonna the, you're gonna consume one another. You're gonna be, you're gonna do irreparable damage. Sometimes I fear that some of us have done irreparable damage to some of our relationships. As hard as it may be to love one another, Jesus raises the bar even higher than just Christians, telling us that we must love our enemies as well. It's like I can't even love my brother over here. Like I'm supposed to love my enemies. Even our political enemies. In the famous Sermon on the Mount we went through here, I think maybe a year ago here at church, we read, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? He's saying it's not, it's easy to love people who are like you and who agree with you and who think like you and who are on your side. And that's, that's nothing. Like, anybody can do that. You have an enemy? It's very clear cut. I feel like Jesus is very clear. There's not a lot of interpretation here. Oh, well, no, he's not talking about those people over there, right? If you have an antagonist, love them. If you have an enemy, love them. If you have a ridiculer, if you have an opponent, if you have an outspoken uncle, if you have an annoying Facebook friend, if you have a neighbor that has that sign in their yard or that is flying that flag, you love them. Anyone can love those that agree with you. That's easy. The world does that. We don't cancel those who are in our tribe. We, we have grace for the people who are in our tribe, but if they're somewhere else, no, cancel them, right? Cancel them. Okay, so I know I'm supposed to love others. I was reading this, I'm like, yeah, I know that in my mind. I think we all, again, these, these are reminders. I think, yeah, we're supposed to do that. How am I supposed to do it? How do I actually, in practice, love someone with whom I disagree with, especially politically? If we're on opposite ends of the spectrum, I want to try and give you three practical ways, okay? Three practical ways to love one another and to love your enemies. These are good for any time. Not not just today, but they're especially good for today. And number one is to listen. Listen. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Remember earlier when I asked if you've ever said, I just can't understand how someone could support or I can't understand how a Christian could vote for. I've said that. I've said that a lot, actually. And uh, it's very telling because guess what? We're admitting that we don't know something. If you can't understand why someone takes a certain stance, that's more on you than it is on them. Gain understanding from someone. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. They just want to express their opinion. Maybe we should actually listen to people. 
and really listen. Listen to other opinions. Read books and articles and blogs and podcasts. Listen to podcasts from people who, who you were like, that person's crazy or, you know, I would never think of, I would never believe what they believe. They're not all morons. They're not all idiots, right? They're not all unintelligent. And here's the thing. You may still walk away not agreeing with them. That's okay. But at least you could probably gain understanding about why they act a certain way or why they believe a certain way or why they voted a certain way. By the way, this is called empathy. I don't know if you know that. This is called empathy, being able to understand where someone is coming from, kind of sit in their shoes. Again, you may not agree. That's okay. But understand, a fool doesn't want to gain understanding. They just want to show how much that they know. And online, it's even worse. No one's listening online. They're just waiting for their turn <laughs> to give an opinion, right? Like that's it. It's like, okay, th- that's it. now it's my turn. People right now in this country are scared. There's a lot of people who are fearful on both sides of the political spectrum. Every, everyone thinks, not everyone, there's a lot of people who think that the other candidate will be the end of this nation. And that fear, it, that's okay. It's real for a lot of people. When people go through death, when people go through illness, when people go through relational struggle, it's really easy just to go and say, hey, you you know what, though? God's in control. I know you're dealing with cancer, but God's in control. I know your family member just died, but God has a plan for all of this. We don't say that. I mean, that may be true, but we don't say that. That, that's, that's, That's irresponsible. That's not loving. That's... You're not le- allowing them to talk. You're not allowing them to grieve. You're not allowing them time. And in the same way, half of this nation is scared what's going to happen after the inauguration. And it would be the same whoever's sworn in, by the way. Half of this nation would be scared what's going to happen. You can't dismiss that fear, no matter how much we maybe don't understand it. You can't dismiss them. I, I remember talking, uh, we're, I was uh, talking to someone about marriage counseling, and you know, men sometimes have a tendency to talk about their wives like, oh my gosh, she's just, you know, irrationally going this way or whatever. Men, men have a tendency to do that. And I remember they were saying, they are like, that may be true. Like, it may be irrational, right? Something may be irrational, but those feelings, those emotions are real. And you don't just dismiss those things. You can't. That's not a loving thing to do. It's not, it's not that you indulge, but you also just don't dismiss real emotions and feelings that somebody is going through. That's not a loving thing to do. Empathy is seeing things from their point of view. Just saying things like, well, God's in control, while true sometimes dismisses that fear. Things that are real in that moment for that person. So listen, number two, lower your sword. Are you using your anger? And maybe it's just anger. Maybe you have a right to be angry about something. To destroy your brothers and sisters. On the night of his arrest when Jesus was uh, in the garden, and the soldiers came to take him away. Do you remember what Peter does? Peter takes up his sword and starts going to town, right? Like, he's like, cuts the guy's ears off named Malchus. He's a priest's servant. And Jesus immediately, like, stops. He heals the guy. And what does he tell Peter? Lower your sword. Put away your sword. Shall I not drink from the cup that my father has given me? The kingdom of God does not come into this world through a sword, but it comes through sacrifice. And it's time for us to show the world another kingdom 
not created by physical and brute power, but by supernatural power. And sometimes it takes supernatural power to lower your sword. I know it doesn't me. I, I saw this funny meme that online this week. It really struck a chord with me. Throw, throw this up here. Um, me about to comment on someone's political post, and then someone says, like, like, wait, don't do it, stop. Sometimes the, you know, the Holy Spirit uses my wife. Stop, don't do it. If we're to act out of the, if I'm to act out of the flesh, it's really easy for me just to want to go into attack. To be honest, to ridicule. And to not just debate a point, sometimes, you know, it's, I, I'm not opposed to debating a point or, you know, talking about a point. But sometimes you start, you stop attacking the point and you start attacking the person. Because that's, that's the easy place to go. Like the easy place, well, I may not be able to argue this, but I can hurt you. I know how to do that. I want to encourage you, if you want to love your, you want love one another and love your enemies, lower your sword. You have to take the high road. Allow the Holy Spirit to stop you, to, to you know, brittle your tongue. How, there's so many proverbs and so much, even in James, where it talks about how, you know, brittle your tongue. Stop it, because the tongue can do a lot. A lot of damage can be done by the words we say. And this takes supernatural power, I believe. Jesus had to tell Peter, lower your sword. He went, he went on the attack, lower your sword. It's okay. You know, I'm Jesus, I can handle myself. I don't need you to fight for me. I can do this. Finally, the third thing, loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on what is essential for the Christian faith and what you think should be essential. And this, to me, this is one of the hardest ones because I think two, two Christians might agree on a biblical or theological principle but may disagree on which policies, methods, tactics, or timing hold, best hold up that principle. That's why we have political disagreements between Christians because the main reason is because Th- those things fall into a thing we call wisdom, right? Think about Solomon, right? The, the famous story of Solomon where the two mothers come to Solomon and they, uh, you know, they're both, there's a dispute about whose baby this is. He didn't go read the, like, the Torah and say, what should I do here? He had wisdom and he said, I'm going to make a decision here that's going to be the best decision. And he did it. We have to learn to loosen our grip on wisdom-based political policies that might stem from two different Christian minds. Okay? Christians are different from the rest of the world, from non-Christians, because we have more than our own thoughts and beliefs to contend with. Someone who doesn't hold to the truth of Scripture or the truth of the Bible can say, you know what, I believe this, and it makes sense to me, so I'm going to go with that. But we actually have the thoughts of God. And these, you know, we, we have our own thoughts, and then we got to contend with what God thinks. And when, when arguing and debating and, and getting into these things, I think we can have the tendency to blur the line between what we think and what God thinks. It's really easy to do that sometimes. It's happened, I, I, I mean, I believe I've probably done it in the past. You probably have done it. Christian thinkers and philosophers and theologians, they deal with this because we're just, you know, we have minds. Liberals argue that Jesus advocates for the marginalized, for women, for refugees, and for the LGBTQ community. Conservatives point out that Jesus is saddened by the practices of abortion and same-sex marriage. And 
some might wish that the Bible included a political endorsement, <laughs> right? Well, here's, I'm Jesus, and here's, I support this message, but it doesn't happen that way. Loosening your grip takes humility, a lot of humility. Political strategy is not a first important thing. Next week, Pastor John is, is going to share what is a first important thing, actually. It's not voting. It's not politics. It's something that Jesus gave to us 2,000 years ago that came before the U.S. And if Jesus doesn't come back before, it's going to outlast the U.S. And it's going to outlast American politics. Christians from different parts of the world, from different denominations, from different parts of the country, from different ethnic or racial backgrounds, all who love God, all who read their Bibles, who pray to Him, who serve in their churches, who give of themselves, who help the poor, who love their neighbors, who love justice, sometimes they think and vote differently. We have to learn to loosen our grip to say, you know, again, Jesus plus, have faith in Jesus. And that's what makes us have unity versus uniformity. Right? Uniformity is everyone looks the same, everyone thinks the same, everyone acts the same. Unity is coming together in in spite of differences. Paul says about the church in Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. That's a great question. Have you been walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Worthy of Jesus. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, the Ephesian church was dealing with racial issues, with ethnic issues at this time. So he's not just, he's not just saying words for, you know, that, that are just kind of out there. He's actually addressing an issue at this church. He's saying you need to, you need to come together. Just, there's one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. People are so much more than how they vote. So much more than how they think politically. You are more than how you vote or how you think politically. That is not your true, like your final identity. Finding your identity in anything other than Christ is idolatry. You are not first a Republican or first a Democrat or first a conservative or first a liberal or first a moderate or whatever thing you want to put in there. That is another thing God has given you, has given you wisdom and a mind to live out here on this earth. Just like raising your kids, just like doing good work at your job as an employer, as an employee, just like loving your spouse, just like being a good student, a good worker, a neighbor, a spouse, a parent, a friend, and yes, a voter, and a citizen of this community and of this nation. And in a very real sense, I honestly believe your vote doesn't matter as much as some of these other things in this, in this family. Does that matter how much more than how you treat your spouse? Or how you raise your kids? Or how well you do at your job? Or the, the testimony you have with your neighbors? I have a bonus one for you. This isn't from the script. <laughs> this is just kind of mine. So this is, again, this is now in Pastor Angelo talking. Let it go. No scriptural reference for this one. It's just something I've learned to do and continue to struggle with, no doubt. 
sometimes the best way to love someone who you disagree with is just to change the subject or let it go. <laughs> talk about something else. Find something else maybe you agree on, agree on. Food, we can talk about Tex-Mex and have disagreements about Tex-Mex all day long, all right? We can do that. Talk about movies. Talk about music. Talk about a hobby. Talk about your love for God and or how you volunteer or talk about your love for scripture or, or your joy in Christ or something that could build a bridge that could show you that, guess what? Those, that person's a human. They're human, just like you. They're flawed. They have issues, just like you do, just like I do. I was talking with a friend this week and even talking with someone this morning, and I told them, you know what? I think this is our time as Christians. This could be our time as Christians. To, our time to shine, our time to let our to be a light to the world, our time to show the world that our unity, our love for one another, our love for our enemies, to show empathy for those that I don't agree with, to show charity for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to love unconditionally, to have the mind of Christ. I want to close with Paul's words that we should heed. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, one of my favorite passages in chapter 2 verses. We call it the Christ hymn. Some people call it that. We should heed these words regardless of who sits in the Oval Office from January 20th, 2023. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus had the authority he had the right to basically just, like, desolate the world. Like, he could have just done that. But he says, no, he didn't take his equality with God as something to be grasped. He actually laid it aside. He laid aside his power, his status. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm going to lay this aside, and I'm going to take the role of humility because guess what? People need my sacrifice. And I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for those people. Those people need I confess to you that this message is as much for me as it is for anyone else. Um, I've been burdened. I've been worried. I've been even scared a little bit. I've been overwhelmed. I've had hard feelings towards people. And none of that is from you. But God, I pray you, you create a desire in me 
listening to us who may disagree, who may think differently. They are made in the image of God. Those people that we talk to, that we see online, that we argue with, that maybe we look at and say, how could they, how could they, how could they? Those are made in your image. They are image bearers of God. They are worthy. that a world could look at us and say, how is that possible? In our world where everything's so polarized, how is it possible that these people who believe all different kinds of things politically come together because their love of you and their identity in Christ matters more? Maybe I should look into that. Maybe I should talk to one of them about that because that just doesn't seem possible. And in fact, it is not possible outside of your love, your power, your mercy, and your supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. So I pray for us now as we look forward to what, whatever's going to happen. We love you. We honor you. And we trust in you. Help us to love one another regardless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's your next